With the sound of a race outside, we uh, begin our race here in the sanctuary, a race of faith and grace. And we begin our worship with the preparatory prayer. Almighty God, you pour out the spirit of grace and supplication on all who deserve it and desire it. Deliver us from cold hearts and wandering thoughts that with steady minds and burning zeal we may worship you in spirit and in truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We invite you to stand. Jesus said, Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. The peace of Christ be with you. We share together in the call to worship this morning. Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne. And to the Lamb, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Come, let us worship the Lord. Jesus risen from the dead, we are now faced with a reality that confronts us every moment of every day. What do I have to do to be alive with him? Salvation is a posture of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and then maintain for the rest of your life. Let us pray. To whom shall we address our confession, O God, but to you and to the Lamb, to whom salvation belongs. We confess, O God, that our ordeals are many and often of our own making. We have walked many valleys, hardened by doubt, cut off from the light of faith. Forgive and restore us, O God. Wipe away every tear and cleanse us in the blood of the Lamb, that our hearts, our words, and our actions may be pure and pleasing to you our righteous God, our good shepherd. Hear these words of assurance. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in Christ, we stand forgiven. Thanks be to God. And hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, and so let us live.
share together in the prayer for illumination. Lift up your hearts. O God, whose Son Jesus is the Good Shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord this morning comes to us from the 8th chapter of Acts, beginning to read at the 26th verse. A story about an Ethiopian eunuch and his conversion on a wilderness road. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and he went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join him. So Philip ran up to it, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, look here. Here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Asatos. And as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have some competition today. But I mentioned that I have the microphone, so I hope that helps. The story is the story about an Ethiopian eunuch. I want to spend just a few moments this morning talking about something in your bulletin that appears right under the Lord's Day worship, April 21, 2013, and then it says, Easter 4. What in the world does that mean, Easter 4? Well, it means, of course, that we're on the fourth Sunday after Easter, and the season of Easter will continue until we get to Pentecost which is 50 days after Easter. Easter 4. For most of us, Easter is a day, a day of celebration, a day of resurrection, a day in which we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. But for the church, Easter is a season, a season in which we celebrate not only the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of others. And this is a story about the resurrection 
of a nameless man from Ethiopia. In the early 1970s, a good friend of mine, when we were off to college, joined an insurance company as a salesman. He did this on the side. He went to college and he sold insurance. And he sold it for a company called Northwestern Mutual. Anybody remember Northwestern Mutual? And do you remember the tagline? The Quiet Company. Remember this? The Quiet Company. Most resurrections are filled with kind of fireworks and bombast. Jesus uh, resurrected. Right after this story is the, re- the resurrection, the conversion of Saul on his way to Tarsus. And he is struck down by light and is blind for three days. This is dramatic stuff. This is the quiet story. The quiet story of a man who simply was riding along on a wilderness road and came to know Jesus. A resurrection story that is quiet. So who is this man? He doesn't have a name in the scripture, although tradition has given him a name. He has come from Ethiopia, and in a sense, he has, he's, he's dramatically different than the people he's going to have found in Jerusalem. He's, he's gone to Jerusalem. He's Ethiopian, and so surrounded by Middle Eastern people. He is black, and they are brown. He's an Ethiopian. He's from outside the territory. He's on the margins. He's a eunuch, which makes him sexually different than those who are there in the temple. And he's the department, he's the, the, the director of the Department of the Treasury. He's the treasurer of all Ethiopia. He works for the government. And when you go to Jerusalem and you work for the government, you're on your third strike. He's got three strikes, and he arrives in Jerusalem. I'm not sure if he knew what was going to happen there. But you see, he went up to the Temple Mount, and he went to the temple to pray. And he would have never gotten past the first door. Maybe you remember how the temple was built. It was built in concentric circles. And the very center is the Holy of Holies. It's where the ark was. It was where the Ten Commandments were kept. In the Holy of Holies. And only one person once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. That was the high priest. One person once a year. There's this great tradition in which... uh, it said that they tied a rope to his leg. If God were to smite him down in the middle of the Holy of Holies, they could pull him out without having to go in to get him. That's the tradition. One person, once a year, Holy of Holies. Around that was a, uh, was a court called the Court of the Jewish Men. So if you were a Jew and you were a male, you could go into the Court of the Jewish Men, closest to the Holy of Holies. Around that was another court, and it was called the Court of the Jewish Women. So if you were a Jewish woman, you could go into that third court. And then the final court, the court around all of this. You know about this court because this is the court where Jesus drove out the money changers. Think a modern mall in the middle of Christmas holiday rush. And you have some feeling of what that court looked like and felt like. It's the place where you could exchange whatever currency you carried for Jewish currency at a loss so that you could contribute uh, into the treasury. 
It was the place where you could buy goats and lambs and doves and pigeons to sacrifice. It was the great mall in the middle of Christmas season, filled with people, filled with noise, and filled with confusion. And this is where the man from Ethiopia prayed. He couldn't get past the next door. He couldn't get into the court of the Jewish women, the court of the Jewish men, certainly not into the Holy of Holies. He was left outside looking in. It explains a little bit of Jesus' words when he drove out the money changers. My house will be a house of prayer for all people. It will be a house of prayer, not a house of commerce. So there he was. He's gone to Jerusalem. Did he know that that's what he was going to face? I don't know. But I suspect that as he was driving away on the wilderness road, the wilderness road was deep within his soul. He knew that he wasn't part of the accepted people. He was a eunuch. He was not allowed to be a proselyte. He wasn't allowed on the inside. He wasn't allowed to go into the inner courts. And so he drove in this chariot along the wilderness road. Philip is there. Note, he doesn't meet him at church on a Sunday morning. He doesn't meet him in a Bible study. He meets him on the wilderness road at the place of his questions, the place of his pain. He meets him over the backyard fence. He meets him on the wilderness road. So there he is, Philip. God has put him there and with him the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is walking along and sees this chariot. He goes over and says to the man, so I see that you are reading some scripture. Do you understand what's going on? Now let me be clear at this point. Philip doesn't have a PhD or an MDiv from New Brunswick Theological Seminary. He's not going to sit down and do church hermeneutics with him or church exegesis. Okay? He's a simple disciple, but he says to him, do you get it? Do you understand what you're reading? To which the Ethiopian eunuch responded, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? Come on up here. Let's sit. It's a remarkable kind of uh, back and forth going here. Philip is not proselytizing. He's not buttonholing this guy. He's entering into a dialogue that says, what's going on in your life? Do you understand what's happening? Let's talk about it. And the man is receptive. And in the end, of course, it's the man who says, here's water, what would prevent me from being baptized? It's a back and forth. It's a dialogue, a dialogue that grows out of questions, a dialogue that grows out of pain. It's a dialogue between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, for years and years and years, I thought that whatever he was reading in Isaiah was, was kind of a, a, coincidence, a coincidence. But a few years ago, I began to look more closely at this passage, and I think it's the key to the text. Let me read it again, but think of it, think of it in terms of Jesus and his life, but think of it in terms of the eunuch who has now been marginalized, who has now been pushed to the side. Even though he's at a high, important place, he's been shamed and pushed outside. Listen to the words from Isaiah and think about the eunuch as well as Jesus. 
Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And then he says to Philip, who's he talking about? Now Philip immediately says, let me tell you about Jesus. But as he reads it, I suspect he is saying to himself, you know, this passage is about me. Justice has been denied me. I've not been allowed in. I've not been allowed close. I've not been embraced by the tradition. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. And in, so in hearing it's about Jesus, he also hears that Jesus is about him. At the seminary, we have a, a, a very rich diversity, as many of you know, uh, ethnically and denominationally and gender and age. Our average student is now between 45 and 50, so when people come in second career or bivocationally and they come and say, oh, I think I'm too old, we often say, actually, you're on the young side. You're going to do fine. Incredible diversity. But I'll tell you what every student, no matter what they look like, looks for when they come to visit New Brunswick Seminary. They look for people who look like them. All of us do that, don't we? We look for people who look like us. And when they find people who look like them, they say, this can be my home. The Ethiopian eunuch looked closely into the eyes of Jesus and said, this one can be my brother. He understands what it means to have been denied justice. He understands, he gets it. He understands who I am and where I've been. He looks and says, this can be my home. And it's that, of course, that inspires him finally to turn to Philip and say, look, it's time to be baptized. What's to prevent it? Let me do this. Let me become a brother of this man you're talking about. And so they go into the water, he's baptized, and the death and resurrection happens for the Ethiopian eunuch. That's the story. And what does it have to do with us at Second Reformed Church in New Brunswick? A few weeks ago, I read in the, uh, the Targum, which is the uh, Rutgers student newspaper, uh, that Second Reformed had opened its doors so Muslims at Rutgers could pray. I jotted a brief note to Doug and simply said, this is remarkable. Thank you. Being sensitive to those who live on the margins, who often don't look like us, and yet our doors and arms are open. I know, I found out this afternoon, I found out this morning that you have not only a Korean congregation that will worship here in a few moments after we complete, but now a Spanish congregation. And so this congregation becomes intentionally a brother and sister to, to the diversity of our world. They look into your face and say, you are my brother and sister. You understand where I've been and what I've been about. That, of course, is the key. 
Let me leave you uh, with a story, another story. It happened, uh, oh, now 13 or 14 years ago, I was serving as president of the General Synod and was invited one, uh, one weekend to go to the cathedral in Baltimore. It was a great celebration. It was, on the, uh, it was in 2000. It was the year of Jubilee. They, were, uh, they had this great performance by an orchestra of a, uh, of a particular piece that was written just for the year of Jubilee. It was performed in only one place in this country, at the cathedral in Baltimore. It went on to London and finally to the Vatican. There were a whole group of leaders of denominations, and there we were. We went to the uh, archbishop's house for dinner, which was a block away, and then we all vested and we we walked down the street. We ended up coming in the front of the cathedral. We went along the side, and then we came around the back and came up the center and seated ourselves uh, in the front. And there were, I think, 60 or 70 of us, vested the leaders of churches in the United States. As I sat, and we had a few moments, I was sitting next to an Episcopal bishop and said to him, this is kind of an amazing thing, and he said, well, it is, but you know, I was here about five or six, seven years ago, maybe ten years ago, and uh, an amazing thing happened. It was the time we hosted here at the cathedral Mother Teresa. And I said, oh, really? I said, how did that go? And he said, well, let me tell you the story. Pastors and preachers are always telling each other stories, and then we steal them, of course. He said, let me tell you the story. He said, we did the same thing that evening. We had a dinner at the archbishop's house. Mother Teresa was among us, this diminutive saint, four foot ten and probably 80 pounds, soaking wet. And then we marched down the sidewalk, and she was right in the middle of the procession. We walked into the cathedral. We walked along the side aisle. We came up the center aisle. It seats about 1,500 people. They got halfway up the center aisle, and the entire procession stopped began to whisper up and down the ranks of the procession, where is she? They had lost Mother Teresa. I don't know how you misplace a saint, but they did it. And there they were, kind of stymied, in the middle of the center aisle, not sure if they should go forward or go backwards or sit down or stand up, and they couldn't figure out what happened to Mother Teresa. She was with them when they started, but now they're in the center aisle, and they're in a traffic jam. Someone, very wise, went out the main doors, down the steps, and in the bottom step, there sat Mother Teresa, who was surrounded by all kinds of people, some of whom couldn't get in, and some of whom had no interest in getting in. They were just hanging out. Vicki and I were at the cathedral in Washington a few weeks ago on Easter, and, uh, and the cathedral, uh, the sidewalk leading up to the cathedral was filled with panhandlers on Easter Sunday morning. They thought they had died and gone to heaven. All these people walking along. So there were all kinds of people outside the cathedral, and there she was, little Mother Teresa. And the person from the procession said to her, Mother, you must come with me. It's time for us to begin. To which she responded, one more moment, I'm here visiting with my people. 
the people on the edge, the people who couldn't get in, the people who lived on the margins. Mother Teresa led the procession that day outside the front doors into the world. Philip practiced his ministry on the wilderness road. And I suspect in this world which we have begun to talk about as being post-Christendom, post-Christianity here in America as the number of people in pews every Sunday goes down and down, we will learn the lesson of Philip. Our ministry will happen on the wilderness road. Amen. Now to the one who was, who is, and who is to come be all honor and glory this day and forever. Amen. standing and share together the confession of faith for today. This is the good news that we have received, in which we stand, and by which we are saved. Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day, and appeared first to the women, then to Peter and the twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one of God the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead, in whom all things hold together, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell by the power of the Spirit. Christ is the head of the body, the church, and by the blood of the cross reconciles all things to God. Amen. In the dawn of the first day, God created us and calls us each day to worship with all of our lives. And in this morning, we return to God our morning tithes and offerings, and more importantly, the gift of our own life and ministry. God of all mercies, we give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all people. Give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. It's a delight to be with you uh, today. I got a call from Doug, uh, middle of the week, and he said, Much to our delight and surprise, our daughter in Vermont is graduating this Sunday. We only found out today. I guess the last assignment was finally approved, and so there in Vermont, uh, Doug and Alita celebrating uh, with their daughter uh, today. He asked if I would uh, conduct the service, and I said, sure, that would be fine. It'll be an easy commute. 
Little did I know that it wasn't going to be all that easy on Sunday morning to get from there to here, but we made it, and uh, we're uh, pleased to be with you, Vicki and I, uh, today. Just a word about the seminary, uh, for I'm in my eighth year as president of the seminary, and for all of those eight years, we have worked at trying to leverage our property in service of our mission. We've tried to do that in a, a number of different ways, and it appears now finally uh, to be concluded. Uh, with the passage uh, last week by the state of New Jersey of a certain number of tax credits, uh, it will mean uh, that a very large $300 million project will occur, and we're a small part of it. Uh, it will mean that the houses directly across the street uh, from the church will be coming down uh, sometime this summer, and we will, build, we will be building a brand new seminary building literally across the street. We felt we were too far away, a half a block away. We wanted to get closer to Second Reform. So we literally will be on the corner of college and seminary place. Uh, we will then uh, sell all of the property east of the library, and Rutgers will be building a new uh, uh, classroom building there, a uh, new office building, uh, uh, dormitories for an honors college, uh, so that will be an extension of their mall, and we will, uh, we will build on uh, the west side of the library, keeping the library and creating, we hope, a beautiful courtyard between the new building and, and the library. It does mean that the house Vicki and I have lived in for the last eight years will be coming down this summer. People are saying, where are you going? We said, well, maybe a tent would, would do us well, but we've decided against a tent, and as of yesterday, we've just leased a uh, townhouse on, the, uh, on River Road. So we'll be uh, moving across the river into Piscataway uh, within five miles of the campus, uh, which will allow us to come and go easily. So we continue to, uh, to uh, welcome your thoughts and prayers in this time of transition. We will keep our main building until we're able to move into the new one. So it will be, we hope, a seamless transition from one building to the other. And then, uh, and then Rutgers will begin to develop uh, the west side of the library. Are there announcements uh, the congregation wants or needs to share with each other this morning? Nancy? Plastic bags, food pantry. If you're like our house, you should have a lot of them. Other announcements? Other announcements? Let us look to God in prayer in this morning. We give you thanks in this day, O oh God. You've created us and cared for us through each of our days, and you've shared with us your goodness and your grace. We pray especially in this morning for brothers and sisters who have had a difficult and painful, indeed a suffering week. We pray for brothers and sisters in Boston, for those who have lived through an explosion in West Texas, for those who live in troubled and warring worlds in Syria and Afghanistan, for those who struggle to find food, a future, hope, we ask, O oh God, that through us you may extend your grace and your goodness to others. We pray for this church, for those who serve here, for those who worship here, for those who hold this ministry in their hearts and in their prayers. We give you thanks, O oh God, for their faithfulness. 
We pray for its pastor, Douglas, and for its consistory, for all who lead through their example. We pray for this community, New Brunswick, for Rutgers University, for brothers and sisters who work there and who learn there and who teach there in these difficult days. Grant grace. Finally, O God, be with each of us. Care for us, hold us, lead us with your spirit as we pray together the prayer your son taught us when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn is hymn number 182 in the Green Book. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance and grant you his peace in this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.